there's room. So for religion, no, I hate it. In fact, I literally resent it. Because when Jesus said, it is finished, I believe he meant it. So when we uh, first started looking at doing this uh, student takeover, we were looking at how it would be arranged and how it would, um, who would speak and that kind of stuff. And, and I started, actually one of the other pastors said, well, if we're doing a student's takeover, that means you have to give the message. And I started thinking through that and I thought, well, in Warehouse, we're big on giving students the opportunity to grow and opportunities to serve and so while I'll get plenty of opportunities to speak up here, students might not. And so we did a uh, series a couple months ago in Warehouse where actually students did all of the, the teaching. It was taught by students that they met with me and we looked through it. And these are four of them um, that helped with that, that series. And so we started looking at, and so I, I grabbed these four and they said, yes, I'd love to speak. And we started looking at what we were gonna do and, and what we were gonna speak on and I'm thinking, okay, let's, they're going to pick some kind of softball, easy, you know, just God's love is great kind of message. And they're like, nah, let's, let's pick something with a little more meat to it. Because in Warehouse, we talk about real stuff and real problems and real issues and we're real. And so why don't we do that? Instead, we don't want a softball. We want, we want, to, we want to take a hard one. We want, to, we want to do it right. We want to do it the way we would in Warehouse. And so that's what, that's what we came up with. And, and they started talking through relationship versus religion. So we got, we got these two girls and two guys. We have Hannah Champion. We have Katie Gardner, Riley Tolbert, and Caleb Bright. And they're gonna share with you this morning. And they have been working hard. And I know God's gonna use them and their study and their scripture and their hearts um, this morning. So if you would, and we're gonna welcome Hannah to start us off this morning. What's up, 11 o'clock gathering? Uh, my name's Hannah. So let's start out by opening up our Bibles together and talking a little about Jesus. Is that all right with y'all? Okay, good. I'm glad. Um, more specifically, let's open up our Bibles to Matthew 23, 23. We're going to start there and kind of continue on for the rest of the message. So um, we have a very important message to share with y'all this morning about these verses. Um, we're calling it Relationship versus Religion. Um, we're going to discuss how our relationship with God is very often overshadowed by religion. Um, because as Christians, we are called to be in a radical relationship with Christ. But often we kind of miss out on that and go to regular religion. This difference should be externally clear in the way that we love and lead others to the light. So in the Gospels, we hear a lot about the Pharisees. There are countless examples of Jesus correcting and instructing these very powerful and very, very confused men. They mess up a lot, just like we do. And so we're going to use this verse to kind of learn from the Pharisees and see how they put religion over relationship and how that can apply to us. Uh, first, we're going to look at law versus love. And I'm going to open up with uh, Matthew 23, through, uh, 23, 23 through 24. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. 
You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. So in just these two verses, we see the Pharisees completely twisting God's intentions. They're putting man's law over God's law. Man's law is our attempt at self-reliance. It's superficial and imperfect. We are trying to put the, our own rules and do our own thing and focus on things that we think are important and not what God says is perfect. The Pharisees think that, well, I have to give a tenth of my spices. I have to pray out loud. I have to go to Bible studies. They didn't actually have Bible studies in the New Testament, but we're just going to pretend. <laughs> I'm going to speak up in Sunday school. I'm going to come up here and preach to the entire church because my youth pastor asked me to. Um, but that's not what's getting them to God. They think that that's what's getting them to God, but really it's not because they're focusing, again, on what they think is important. Um, they think that they, by themselves, can get to God. And we see that this isn't true in the Bible. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So we see that man's law, man's rules and traditions, and the things that we think are important actually kill. But the Spirit, God, gives life. And we see this in more than just the Pharisees. We see it as far back as the Old Testament. Um, when we're little in Sunday school, sometimes we learn about the story of the Tower of Babel. Um, if you're unfamiliar with that, basically a group of people decided that they were going to build a tower to reach heaven. They failed. Um, God looked at them and said, you can't do this. No one is ever going to be able to reach heaven on their own and scattered them through the earth. And we, without realizing it, are doing the same thing. We think that we can build a tower to heaven with the bricks and mortar of human rules and traditions. But that's never going to work, right? It didn't work in the Old Testament. It's not going to work now with our metaphorical bricks and mortar, right? So, um, which brings us to our next point, God's law. Some people we struggle with, man's law, we think man-made rules and traditions are going to get us there. Some people struggle with, well, I have to follow the rules that God set out perfectly. I have to follow everything in the Bible, and if I mess up, then I'm failing God. But that's not true either, because God's law is his example of God-reliance, which is a phrase that isn't actually real. I kind of made it up because it was convenient. Um, the point of God's law and God's reliance is that there's nothing that we can do on our own to reach perfection. God gave us the law to show us that we can never do it on our own because it's impossible to follow the law perfectly, right? So if we're to be truly self-reliant, we have to follow all of God's laws perfectly, which, again, we can't do. But the reason that God laid out all of these things is to show us that the only way to truly have a relationship is to rely on him, on his love, which brings us to the love part of law versus love. Um, we think that if we can do enough, we can set ourselves free. If we can go to enough Bible studies, if we can pray enough in front of enough people and loud enough, if we can give enough money, then we can make it to God all by ourselves, but we can't do that. We can't set ourselves free with putting more things that we have to do. We just end up putting ourselves in these handcuffs, which I've been wearing the entire time, and y'all probably been wondering what's up with these, but we're getting to that now. We think that if we do enough, we're free, but we're chaining ourselves, right? And 
we're, we think we're stuck in these, but really they're from the dollar store. I can get them off really easily. I don't even need a key for those. There's a little latch. Anyway, um, God's love is what sets us free. Not human laws, not human traditions. Because God's love and our dependence on him is the only way that we can truly have a relationship with God because man's law is insufficient and God's law is all-sufficient. We can never do it on our own. We have to rely on the all-sufficient love of God. And the greatest example of God's love is Jesus, right? So we're going to look in our Bibles one more time. (laughs) This is a verse that we all know pretty well. Um, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. There's one way, right? And that's Jesus. It says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Not law is the way and the truth of the life. Not Bible studies are the way and the truth and the life, even though Bible studies are great. Not wearing the right clothes are the way and the truth and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. Love is the way and the truth and the life. So... We're not done with the Pharisees. They still have more issues. And Katie's going to come up and discuss the next one, actually. Um, So how about you take it away? Thank you. Thank you, Hannah. (laughs) So I'm going to be talking to you today about external versus internal. And basically what I mean by that is what you see on the outside versus what's really going on on the inside. So every person in here today has some external aspects of their life, which are like, what you're wearing, how your hair looks, what car you drive, what seat you're sitting in, and those are things that people can see. But everyone also has internal aspects of your life, which is like your thoughts or emotions, and those are things that people can't see. So today we're going to talk about the external and internal parts of our lives and how they relate to our spiritual life. We're also going to discuss some of the religious routines that some Christians fall into. And the first point I want to talk about is something called a Christian imposter. A Christian imposter is basically someone who has everyone fooled into thinking they are a Christian because on the outside they act like they are, but on the inside they truly don't have a relationship with Jesus. So how exactly do you act like you're a Christian? Well, you follow the rules that Hannah was talking about. You show up to church, you memorize verses, and outwardly look like you are a Christian. But when it really comes down to it, going to church is really the extent of your Christianity. Um, John 14.6 says... I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't say that the way to heaven is to go to church or to memorize scripture or to say the right verses or say the right prayers. He said the only way to heaven is through a true and genuine relationship with him. Sometimes even when you do have a genuine relationship with him, it's still easy to fall into those routines and to lose sight of your relationship. And that's something that I've struggled with because before I was a Christian I was a Christian imposter. I had everyone fooled into thinking that I really did have a relationship with Jesus. I even had myself fooled into thinking that I was truly a Christian because I didn't really understand the full extent of what it meant, which is to truly have a relationship and to work on that relationship every day. So at Beach House, Jonathan was preaching, and I realized that, like, I'm not really a Christian because I'm just playing the part. But that's something that it's easy to fall into as well. Like, even now that I am saved, sometimes to fall into the routines— And that's something that a lot of us struggle with. So I think it's important for us to evaluate ourselves and to evaluate our motives when doing things and see if maybe we've slipped into the routines of a religion, to see if maybe we've even lost sight of our relationship with Jesus, or to see if we even had a true relationship with him to begin with. 
So let's look at Matthew 23, 25, and 26. We're talking about the Pharisees again. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. So let's just think about that for a minute. Like, think you wake up in the morning, and you're so ready for your morning cup of coffee to wake you up, and you walk into the kitchen, and you open your cabinet, and at my house, like, the coffee mug cabinet is full of really pretty coffee cups because my mom really likes to buy them, and people like to give them to us. So there's a lot to choose from, but my favorite is this cute little one that has little cactuses on it, and it says you can't touch this because, like, they're spiky. Get it? So imagine I take my can't-touch-this mug, and I start to go put it under my Keurig to make my cup of coffee. But as I'm going to put it under, I look in it, and I see that it's full of mold and all this nasty, yucky stuff. I'm not going to continue to make my cup of coffee with that cup because even though it's pretty on the outside, it's no good to me because it's dirty on the inside. And a lot of times we do that exact same thing with ourselves. You know, we put up this front that everything's going fine and we got everything together, but really on the inside, we're just as messed up as everyone else is. So how do we fix this? Well, lucky for us, Jesus answers that question in verse 26. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. So all we have to do to fix the problem is to clean the inside. We have to work on our relationship with the Lord and be transparent to others. And when we are truly in love and obsessed with Jesus, it will show through the outside and the outside will be just as pretty as the inside. So when I think of this idea of cleaning the outside of the cup, I think of our social media accounts. Our social media pages are really our outside of the cup. We put our best selves on our social media. We're not going to post a picture of us looking ugly and like hair messed up, no makeup. We're not going to post that on social media because we want people to see the best parts of us. And also for people that don't use social media because we are a multi-generational church and even people like my dad don't even understand any social media like that. So for people who aren't into social media, let's take a Christmas card, for example. How many of us have been involved in the picture-taking part of the Christmas card? It's not fun. My family is really into taking a lot of pictures, but they're really grouchy about it. So like kids are screaming, we're all hungry, moms and dads are getting mad, and Emily, Aunt Emily is just trying to get the right picture taken. But when we're choosing the picture to put out on the Christmas card, we don't choose the picture with all of us looking mad and angry and like we don't want to be there. No, we choose the one, the one picture we get where it kind of looks like we love each other, kind of. <laughs> and that's because we want people to think the best of us. We don't want people to know that we struggled to get that picture. We want them to just think like we all showed up nice like that and it was nice the whole time. But um, there are even some churches who fall into this, like their leadership tries to present that they're all perfect and they got everything together. But what I love about Pleasant City is none of our leaders are perfect and they let us know that they're not. <laughs> and that brings up this whole idea of transparency. And I think being transparent is something that's really hard for a lot of people because we think when we come to church, we have to look perfect and act perfect. But um, Mark 2:17 says, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. If we were perfect people, we would not need church, and really we wouldn't need God, but none of us are perfect. Church is a place where a bunch of imperfect and broken humans come together to worship a perfect God. We all know that one of the pastors on staff here has this really big thing about connect groups, and he did not pay me to say this, but really connect groups are like the perfect place for you to be transparent. Because if you only come to preaching on Sunday mornings, it's nearly impossible to truly connect with people and be transparent because everyone's just moving around. Um, 
So the last thing I want to talk about is this idea of being secretly incredible. Bob Goff, the writer of Love Does, and I love Love Does, it's a great book, talks about this idea of being secretly incredible and doing good things like behind the scenes without people seeing you. Um, As humans, it's natural for us to seek affirmation from others when we're doing good things. That really starts at a young age, like when you make A's and B's or all A's on your report card, and you come home and you're like, what do I get for this? What, I did good? So that's a natural. There's nothing wrong with wanting to seek affirmation from others. We just have to make sure that when we're doing things for the kingdom of God, that we're doing it solely to obey God and to bring him glory and not so that people say, hey, good job for doing that. Um, when I think about this idea, I think about this thing that my mom does at Dunkin' Donuts. So like everybody knows the Dunkin' Donuts drive through is set up. You order right here and you pick your food up on the other side of the building. So it's like you have to drive around. So my mom does this thing where if she's ordered and she's going to pay and she knows someone's behind her, then she'll ask the cashier if she can pay for their order. And I think that's a really cool thing. And the first time me and Emma were in the car with her and she did that, we were like, let's park and see what they think. I want to see how they react. I want to see. And she was like, no, we do it just to bless them. Like we're not doing it so that they know we did it or we see how they react. It's not for us, it's for them. So like little side note, I tried to do it one time. And when you go to Dunkin' Donuts, you can get something pretty good. Like you can get a wake up wrap and a a coffee for like $5 max. The one time I tried to do this and pay for the person behind me, I roll up and ask the girl, can I pay for the person behind me? Like I'm gonna bless someone. She was like, are you sure? Right then you should back out. You should say, no, I'm not sure. I don't wanna do it. And I was like, yeah, I'm sure, I'm good. And she said, okay, that'll be 35 something something. What can you get at Dunkin' Donuts that's $35? So I, she was like, do you still wanna do it? And I said, yes, I do, because I've already told you I will. But if you're gonna, if you're gonna do that, it's a good thing, but make sure you're committed, because you could be spending a lot of money. <laughs> so as I'm closing, I wanna leave you with a challenge to evaluate yourselves, to evaluate your motives, and see if you're following the routines of a religion or if you truly have a relationship with Jesus. Are you truly obsessed with him or are you just playing the Christian game? This really ties in really well with what Riley's about to talk to us about. Thank you, Katie. All right, so this morning we're just going to go ahead and start and get into God's word. Again, we're in Matthew uh, 23, and I'm going to start in verse 27. I mean, it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Um, in a little bit, we're going to really get in and uh, break down that verse. But uh, right now, we're going to talk about a little bit about this book. It's called Crazy Love. Uh, by Francis Chan, and we've been uh, studying this book uh, in Sunday mornings in Warehouse over the summer, and um, I've really liked this book. It's been very convicting, and um, it's been a great book, but in the book, there's actually uh, a couple chapters talking about obsessed, and then there's a couple chapters talking about uh, being lukewarm, and in the book, it gives this uh, definition of someone who's obsessed as preoccupied or filled the mind of someone continually, intrusively, and to a troubling extent. And I got to thinking about this idea of lukewarm versus obsessed. And for some reason, the first thing that came to my mind was coffee. And as I was thinking about lukewarm, I found this picture of this guy with just a normal average guy 
with just a normal average coffee. And then I started thinking of obsessed, and the first thing that came to my mind was this guy right here. <laughs> and uh, that's just, that's not a stage photo, that's just a little seek in to uh, Jonathan's daily life right there. And, um, but it's actually a really good dem uh, demonstration, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But this kind of brings me to my first point. And my first point is people who are obsessed uh, with Jesus live their life in a radical way, while those who are luke lukewarm live their life in a regular way. And as I was thinking about that, you know, what does, like, radical and regular mean? Well, if you're living your life radically, that means you're living your life different. People are going to look at you different. But if you're living your life regularly, you're just kind of feeling filling in with the world, you're going in with the world. No one like, really notices that you're a Christian. I mean, people may know because you tell them, but they can't really tell by your actions. Um, we're going to go ahead and get back into this verse in uh, Matthew 23. I'll read it again, starting 27, and it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. So he calls them hypocrites one time right there. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So again, he's calling them hypocrites because on the outside, they're whitewashed tombs, but on the inside, they're different. So you outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So again, he calls them hypocrites three times within those two verses. And I kind of feel like hypocrisy and lukewarmness kind of fit in together. How if you're lukewarm, you don't really fit in with the world. You say, well, yeah, I go to church, but your actions don't back up that relationship that you have with Christ. Same thing with hypocrisy here, talking about the Pharisees. Yes, they appeared beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, there wasn't a true relationship. Um, and then if we go back to the coffee, you know, it's kind of funny about Jonathan, but it's actually really true. If we all treated our relationship with Christ like Jonathan treats his coffee, we wouldn't even have to need this sermon right here. But uh, so uh, I'm going to go to, into my next point here. And my next point is uh, radical equals relationship while religion, or re yeah, regular equals religion. And um, as you think about that, again, it's the idea of being different. It's the idea of uh, looking different to others, not being regular. And I'm going to go into Luke uh, chapter 14, and I'm going to start uh, verse 25, and the title of this is The Cost of Being a Disciple. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after, come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desire to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation in it, and is not able to finish 
all who see it bring to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And not while the other is yet great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce it all cannot be my disciple. And within that, I really like that last verse. I'll read it again. 33 says, so therefore, any of you who does not renounce it all that he has cannot be my disciple. So if you're not willing to give up everything for Christ, you really cannot have that true relationship with him. Um, I'm going to kind of end my part of this with a quote from the book. And this quote says, Obsessed people are more concerned with obeying God than doing quasi-expecting or fulfilling the status quo. A person who is obsessed with Jesus will do things that don't always make sense in terms of success or wealth on this earth. And I really like that quote. Um, I thought it was a really good quote. And as we kind of think of that idea of obsessed, when you're obsessed with Jesus, you're consumed by the light of Christ. And Caleb's going to come up here and talk about this whole idea of the darkness versus light. Thank you, Riley. Okay. Dark versus light. You can only have one or the other. If you walk into a room and a light is on, then there is no darkness in the room. If you walk into a room and the light is off, then there is no light. The definition of light is not dark. The definition of dark is without light. Jesus makes the contrast of the two clear in John 8, 12. He says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. This difference is made clear in the best series of movies ever, Star Wars, by separating the two into complete opposite sides, the dark side and the light side. These two sides are best illustrated by the main Sith or Jedi from each side in the original trilogy. Darth Vader for the dark side, and Luke Skywalker for the light side. The contrast doesn't just stop in movies. The Bible is full of people who show the contrast between dark and light. The, the, <laughs> Satan and Jesus, Saul and Paul, Cain and Abel, the list can go on and on. The person I chose to illustrate this point today is a man who was so radically changed by the light that if you looked at his before and after descriptions, you could never tell they were the same. He was so radically changed by the light that he changed his name. Saul, known as Paul after his conversion, is the best example I could find of the change required to go from darkness to light. My first point today is darkness conceals sin. John 3.20 says... For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. This verse clearly shows the wearing of a metaphorical mask, using the dark as something to hide sin and shame inside and keep our sinful hearts and minds concealed from those in the light. Darth Vader wore a real mask to keep people from seeing the ugly and scarred head underneath. Saul wore a righteous mask to show others he had it all together and that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Saul was more concerned about what people thought about his record than what God thought about his heart. This is clear in what we see in Acts 9, two, 9 1 through 2. 
Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him in the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul, wrapped up in his sin and hate towards the early Christians, however, he put on a righteous mask to address the members of the synagogues and convince them he should go and capture Christians. Jesus calls out this act of wearing a righteous mask. Look in your Bibles to Matthew 23, 29 through 32. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves, that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of your father's guilt. The Pharisees say they fear God, and they wear their mask of righteousness to impress others, when in reality, their hearts were in the same place as their forefathers were when they murdered the prophets. Where darkness covers sin, light corrects sin. Ephesians 5, 8-11 says... There we go. For you were once in darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of the darkness, but rather expose them. This verse again shows the radical difference between light and darkness, calling light fruitful and darkness unfruitful. This verse also says we are called as members of the light to erect sin in ourselves and expose sin in others. Luke Skywalker, on the swap planet of Dagobah, wanders into the dark side sensitive cave. In the cave, Luke is shown he has the ability to become like his father, Darth Vader. However, Luke resists this temptation of the dark side and remains faithful to the light side. We should also expose temptation and resist it. We are also called to expose the dark deception others are living in. Jesus does this to Paul in Acts 9, 3-6. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want with me? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. While Saul was on his way to commit dark deeds against God's people, Jesus shows up in his glorious light to get Paul's attention, stop him from doing this great sin, and transform his life forever. In the same way, we who live in the light are called to show the light that is Jesus to others. Point number two, darkness confuses. 1 John 2.11 says... But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This verse has a pretty straightforward meaning. People don't know where they are going because they don't have light, meaning they walk in darkness. It's like driving through a back road at night without headlights, confusing and dangerous. However, many people live like this, stumbling through their lives because they are scared of the unmasking that comes when they embrace the light. Darth Vader lived blinded by his anger, shame, and regret. Saul lived blinded by his pride and ambition. Listen to what Saul says he thought about himself in Philippians 3, 4 through 6. 
Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Saul was blinded by his accomplishments and his mass of righteousness so much that he and many other Pharisees hated Jesus in his ministry. He thought there was no way that all the filthy, sinful Gentiles could be saved. Being blinded by his darkness, Saul couldn't see he was also a filthy, sinful Gentile at heart. He lived in this deception until his encounter with a light. Darkness confuses, but light counsels our steps. Psalms 119.105 says... This is the longest chapter in the Bible, so just give me a minute. Um, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This verse is the exact opposite of 1 John 2.11. This verse shows a clear way, a direction guided by the light of being in God's word. Instead of stumbling in the dark, those who li live in the light are given a way to go. It is not like driving down a long country road at noon. You can cl clearly see the road ahead. Luke Skywalker, guided by the light side, found hope and love. Paul tells us what he is doing on his path in Philippians 3, 13 through 14. Brethren, I do not count myself as having apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is running down the path that is made clear by the light he is living in. He is no longer blinded by his past mask and sin. He can see clearly the prize that waits in the end. We are called to do the same. We are told to throw off old sin and shame and run in the light. Bottom line, dark versus light, which is your present reality? Dark versus light is a stark and drastic difference. You can't be in both light and darkness, but the good news is you can change. You can come into the light if you are living in the dark. Darth Vader chose the light side near the end of his life. Saul was converted and used mildly for the kingdom. So as my part of the sermon comes to a close, let me ask you, are you living in the dark, ashamed of your past and hiding your failures, or are you living in the light that comes from a close personal relationship with the Lord? 1 John 1, 5-7 says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. So, we're about to come up here and have this time of invitation, and Matt's going to come up here, and he's going to play, and I'm just going to be totally transparent with all y'all. We didn't talk about this, we didn't have this to uh, question anyone's faith or challenge anyone's faith, but instead for each and every one of you to truly reflect and to evaluate your own heart. As you're evaluating, you know, uh, think to yourself, you know, do I have this true relationship with Christ? And if you come to the conclusion that you don't, there'll be two pastors and two students up here at the front who would love to talk with you and pray with you about that. Um, as, you're reflecting, as you're reflecting and evaluating your own heart, I want you guys to think about, you know, are you more 
concerned about the law or the love? Are you more focused on the external or the internal? Um, are you more uh, focused on being lukewarm or are you obsessed with Jesus? Are you consumed by the darkness or are you consumed by the light? Am I fighting for myself? Am I fighting for my own pride, my own greed, my own lust, my own passions? Or are you fighting for Christ, for his glory and his honor? Who are you fighting for?